0: Thank you guys, Uh, really appropriate song, especially for this morning sermon. We reach our final section, final part of verse 27. So I'm able to finish uh, the first chapter, only took 25 sermons, but (laughs) thankfully uh, we are able to get it done and um, bring closure to this first chapter. We'll be talking about this morning is how... We are to keep ourselves unstained from this world. 19th century Baptist preacher, most of you know him, Charles Spurgeon, said, How many of you look around at society to know what to do? You watch the general current, then float upon it. You study the popular breeze and shift your sails to suit it. True men do not do so. You ask, is it fashionable? If it's fashionable, it must be done. Fashion is the law of the multitudes, but it is nothing more than common consent of fools. The world has its fashion in religion as well as dress, and many of you are feeling the pressure." How true these words mirror the visage of the church today. Many Christians make the mistake of thinking political conservatism is equal to evangelicalism. We confuse sentimentality with sanctity. While we... Speak, there are generations of Christians that are called upon to exchange their faith in Christ for death because they cannot compromise on their conviction that they have a Lord and Savior who is absolute in and over their lives. And yet, some of us are scared of a world that is adding pressure. It has become commonplace for people in the world to be canceled for political views. But the problem is not that people are getting canceled. The problem is how we are thinking about those people. We equal their canceling to being killed for their faith. Many Many are equaling what happens on social media or in the workplace with being a martyr. It is not the same. Cultural Christianity has become the rip current that is dragging the church back into the tumultuous ocean of worldliness. And the lifesavers are silent. If you do not know who the lifesavers are, it is God's gift to the church In the pulpit, pastors and shepherds are not calling out the sin of worldliness and bowing to the culture because they themselves have bowed. The watchmen are not crying out, there is a danger on the horizon. Why? Because the watchmen have turned a blind eye to the danger to the church. The shepherds are not redirecting the sheep into safer pastures, but they are herding them into the valley of darkness and danger of government control. One of the problems is that the church has exchanged the call to be salt and light for being sugar and a smoke signal. We want to be sweet. We want everybody to love us. We want to be the sugarcane of the world when Jesus says, no, you are the salt. You are the thing that they rub in the wound. You don't put salt on wound. You put sugar on. Sorry, you don't put sugar on wound. You put salt on wound. <laughs> we are more interested in frolicking in the world than fighting for holiness. The church has sadly become The territory of compliance and compromise. The church-world distinction has been muddied by church-world relationships. You understand what I'm saying, right? There is no longer that the church is outside the doors, and this is Charles, Charles Spurgeon's words. You look for the church and it is in the world. You look for the world and it is where? In the church, it seems that more and more, the church in our age seeks the approval of the world. We want to win the favor of the world instead of gaining in fervor for the Lord. John MacArthur in his book, Ashamed of the Gospel, says this, and I quote, The church has accommodated our culture by devising a brand of Christianity where taking up one's cross is optional or even unseemingly. Indeed, many Christians of the church, sorry, many members of the church in the Western world suppose that they can best serve God by being as non-confrontative to the world as possible. Having absorbed the world's values, Christianity in our society is now dying. Subtly but surely, worldliness and self-indulgence are eating away the heart of the church, quote. This was not written this year or last year. This was written 30 years ago, and it is still true today. In fact, it has gotten worse. The church has forgotten its place in the world. It has compromised and conceded on many levels, which has resulted in the fact that the church has lost its distinctiveness in this world. So what should the relationship to the, to the world be? What should we do with the world? Should we be... A separatist, identificationalist, a transformationalist, an eco- incarnationalist, or a syncretist. Those are the common ideas that are purported for how the church are to relate to the world. The separatist says that we must withdraw from the world at all cost. Don't engage the world, don't live in the world, go live on an island, and don't do what the world does. They believe that the church has nothing to do with the world. This is exemplified in the Mennonite and Amish groups of the 16th century. The identificationalists, they say, well, God works both in the world through the state and through the church. He works in the world both through the state and through the church. So therefore, Christians must become both kingdom citizens as well as earthly citizens fighting the world through the governments. For instance, Joseph, right? He rose to power in Egypt. He converted the world, did he? No, he did not. Daniel, they use as an example. He became an an advisory to Babylon and Persia. So he converted the world, did he? No, he did not. We have Jesus who identified with tax collectors and sinners, and he converted the world, did he? No, he did not. Then you have the transformationalists. They believe that the power of Christ will transform culture. This is often spoken about in the various social justice circles today. We hear of the transformative power of the gospel, not in the lives of people, but in the culture. Social transformation. And they use the Geneva government in, uh, in cahoots with Calvin to demonstrate that government can be transformed by Christians. Then you have the most common and permanent view, which is the incarnationalist. They believe that we have to mimic Jesus by incarnating the truth to the world. Yeah, I don't fully get this one, but I'll tell you what they say. This is modeled after Jesus, for he separated from the evils of this culture, but identified with the institutes and the people of the culture to transform them from the inside out. Hmm. Did Jesus do that? Did he convert the Roman government? He did not. Did he convert the social status of Israel? He did not. Did he change the world? On a spiritual level, he did. But socially and practically, he did not. Jesus didn't come to change the world on a social level. He came to change the souls of men. Then we have the syncretists, which is what we are seeing today. They are not so much focused on the external effect of the church on culture, but they are more interested in taking what is in the culture and syncretizing it. Is that a word? Synchronizing it. With the church, I, I make up a lot of words if you don't know me. Where should we fall on this paradigm? Should we, should we aim to be a separatist or a syncretist? Should we separate from the world or merge our philosophies with the world? None of these things that I've just mentioned is what Christ demands of his church. None of them. There are some good elements in them. But they don't dictate how the church ought to live in a world that is wicked. Only Christ has the divine demand, that's American, the the divine demand upon his church. Only he can regulate how the church ought to relate to the world. And that is what we will look at this morning. So to help us, we will begin by looking at James chapter 1 Verse 27 and only the last phrase of 27. I'm going to read the entire verse. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There is one point in this last uh, clause in the sentence. To keep oneself unstained from the world. And it is this. Believers must keep themselves unstained from the world as an act of worship. That is it. That's all that he wants to convey. If you forget everything else, understand that we are to live in a way that honors our Lord as an act of worship. That's the point that James is making. God will accept worship that is not Polluted by the world. Now, in the section, James connects the practical implications, the outworking, or the application to one verse. And I said to you when we started the section that there are three verses that is substantially important. It is the uh, theological um, a bombshell, as one of my theology professors said, of this book. Verse. 17, 18, and 19, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth. New birth comes from God from above. He is the one that gives life to people by the word of truth. That's how he does it that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So that we, this is the the New Testament church in, in the book of Acts, those first saints, they would be the first portion of the harvest that God will give to this world. Know this, my beloved brethren, brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What is he talking about? When God changes the soul in verse 18 when he changes the man or the woman what happens there's an immediate change in the way that they love they should then be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger when you are changed by God there is a change in the way that you love there is a change in the way that you conduct yourself in this world. And this is what James has been elaborating on in this entire section from verse 19 through to verse 27. So we are now in the application aspect of the impact of verse 18. So if God saves you, how would it look in this world? Two ways. Visit orphans and widows in the affliction. Go be with those who are suffering. Love them in the affliction. Don't abandon them. Don't pay off their debts. Go suffer with them is the point. And then secondly, keep yourself unstained from the world. These two essential acts show what true worship looks like in a believer's life. Caring about those whom God cares about and rejecting that God rejects. Loving the widows and orphans, rejecting the world. The last aspect about the world is under consideration this morning. The question that this passage evokes or raises is twofold, or are twofold. Number one, what does it mean to keep oneself unstained from the world? That emphasizes meaning. What does it mean? Secondly, Why do believers need to keep themselves from the world? That is the reason. So we're going to look at meaning and reason in this one final infinitive clause. So firstly, what I want you to take note here is that separation from the stain of the world is imperative for the worshiper. Separation from the world is what God desires for his church. What does this mean? So James wrote to a Jewish Christian community that were facing persecution. Under this threat of persecution the readers were considering to compromise their faith, their commitment to Christ. They were tempted to accommodate themselves to worldliness. Basic to all that James says in this letter is his concern, his pastoral concern to stop the readers from becoming subjected to worldly values and philosophies, to give themselves wholly to worldliness instead of giving themselves to the Lord. Resident in this section, we have an element of what it means to be hearers and doers in this world. James wants us to know how we ought to walk in relation to this world. So let's begin by looking at this last part of the verse. To keep oneself unstained from the world. It seems pretty simple, and it, and it is. You will see a lot of overlap between my two points because there is an overlap between them. The sentence literally reads, unstained oneself to keep from the world. Now that makes very little sense in normal English. And so it is reworded in English to make a lot of more sense uh, to the modern day ears. Unstained oneself to keep from the world. The adjective unstained is pushed forward. Why? Because James wants him to think about this first and foremost. This word unstained can be used in a variety of different contexts. For instance, it can be used in a religious context where it means the highest or best quality Therefore, untainted and unstained uh, thing, the one that is without defect or, or the one that is spotless, what does that conjure up? Images of the Old Testament sacrificial system. In fact, it is used by Peter in 1 Peter chapter one, verse 18 and 19. Listen to what he says knowing that you were ransomed from the few futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with a precious blood like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That is that word there, blemish, unstained. He uses it in similitude to how it was used in the Old Testament. The lamb had to be with no spot. It had to be clean. So James, in the context of worship, says, this is what God requires of you. This is the unstained sacrifice of worship. When it relates to character and virtue, it speaks of being pure or without fault. But for the most part, when it speaks about this sacrificial system, the lamb that is pure, that is spotless, is in view. James interestingly says, keep yourself unstained, not bring an unstained lamb. Understand what he's talking about here. In the context of worship, these are Jews where do they go to make sacrifices to the temple? What do they take to make sacrifices? Well, either doves or whatever animal it is. But it had to be pure. It had to be a spotless animal. Where are they? Not in Jerusalem anymore. Why? Because of Acts chapter 8, 7 and 8, Peter's uh, stoned. Chapter 8, persecution breaks up on the, uh, out on the church. So they're no longer in Jerusalem. And he says to them, you who are removed from Jerusalem, who cannot bring sacrifices to the temple, don't worry about it. Why? Because you yourself, you are the sacrifice. There is no lamb that needs to be offered on the altar anymore because the lamb has already been slain for your sin. So all that God requires now is you. You live for him. Give yourself is what he's saying as the sacrifice. Why does word understand? Because the world is dirty. It's that simple. It is not pure. It is not holy. And it will never be pure and holy. 1 John 2, 15, 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, take note of this. The love of the Father is not in him. Ooh, It's getting hot now, right? But listen to this for all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. All that draws you away from God is not from God. If it's not from God, where is it from the world? Who's the God of this age? The devil. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with all its desire, desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Huge contrast. You want to live? Abide in the truth. We are called to be unstained from the world because the world by nature contaminates. The problem is that Christians do Christians no longer see themselves as pilgrims. When also have you thought of yourself as a passer-through, a, a, a sojourner, or if Peter was preaching, a sojourner. A pilgrim in this immoral world. No, we don't think ourselves as pilgrims anymore. We think of this world as our home. That's the problem. The kingdom of this world has invaded the desires and the passions of the Christian. We no longer desire the things which are above, but we desire the things that are, that that is below in this world. The reason why it's so hard to give up these earthly things is because we have not yet grasped that all that you possess does not belong to you. It's been gifted to you by God. And so you don't own it. Your house is not your own. Your car is not your own. So if God takes it, He didn't lose anything, He just took it back. But that is hard to hear. Why? Because this earth, this world has become what? Our home. We've made a nest. We've set out for retirement and, and just to live out the rest of our days until we gray and old and die. That is the plan for the future. I just want to reach retirement age. Then my work on earth is done. I dare you to find retirement in the Bible. Stop looking. It's not there. The problem is that you have not realized that the fluff of this world is temporal and has no eternal value. You have not yet come to grips That the world's opinion of the church does not matter to God. That is the biggest point that we stumble on. God doesn't care what the world thinks about his church. But he does care about what the church does. And who the church is in this world. Those who are described here that i've just mentioned these people they struggle with a deep faithful ongoing devotion to the lord why because the world is liquor it's liquor it's sweet to the taste but that sweetness is like gumahara for those of you who know what i'm talking about i don't know what it is in english that's all i know candy floss floss. okay so you know it's like gumare. You bite into it, but there's nothing. It's sweet, but it adds nothing to your life. John says this world, the contaminating elements of this world does not come from God. All that you are biting in is gumare. It's fluff. It's air. It's nothing. It adds no value to your life. Gives you a different perspective of life, doesn't it? What the church forgets is that the world and its deceiving offers is coming to an end. Listen to verse 17 of John 1 John chapter 2. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the word of God, they will abide forever. The world will cease to exist. All the passions, all the desires, all the toys and gadgets in the world will cease to exist. But God's people will abide forever. Which means that there is no value in investing ourselves in what is not of eternal value. I'm not saying don't invest. I'm not saying that. There is no value in investing yourself in something that does not last eternally. So where should your life investment be? In the things which are above. In Christ, who is your life. We should use our temporal lives and our resources for the glory of God. But we struggle to do so because we enjoy living for ourselves. Listen. If you are stained by the world. Let me put it this way. If the tentacles of the world. Has found a grip on you. If it's, if it's got its claws on you. Then it is more difficult for you to care for those. Who are in God's people. Why? Because the world majors on eulogy. That is not a word. You don't Google it. You. the world majors on you making the most of your life the best life now you can hear that ding the world wants you to be happy and satisfied to have all your dreams fulfilled you know who offered that to Jesus Christ think about that See, all the kingdoms of the world, I will offer it to you if you bow down to me. You cannot have both. You cannot have the joys and the fulfillment of all that this world has to offer and bow at the feet of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You cannot have both. And you will see that in a moment's time. Because the minute you bow, the pull of the world must be Relaxed. We are pilgrims, strangers and foreigners, clothed in the wide robes of Christ's righteousness, which means that anything that has the capacity to contaminate, we must reject. At this stage, some of you are thinking, sure, sure, movies, yeah, like, like Netflix, right? Ah, no problem, I can cancel that. I can live without Netflix. Anything visi- visibly bad, yeah, I don't, I don't do weird searches on the internet, I don't need the internet. I can go off grid. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I could, I could do that. And some of you who are of the colored race would say, um, yeah, those low riders, you know, when you drop your car, and you put those spinners on. Those things I, I could do without that. No problem. No no problem. No problem. I can give it up. However, James puts no limitation on what He speaks about it. He says, look at the text. Keep yourself unstained from the world. If you're not getting it yet, it may may hit home when you get home. The entirety of this world system, all that the world has to offer, keep yourself unstained from it. That is the entire system of this world is compromised. There is a moral overtone in this. It implies that there is no area that the world has not contaminated. What about those liquor, hip-hop music? What about those music, huh? What about those things? Hey, now you're stepping on my toes, Pastor. Don't, don't go there. That's my music. Ever listen to some of the lyrics? Are we okay with swearing, and are we okay with blasphemy. Are we okay with those things in music because oh, it's just music. It's innocent. It 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 hits my, my uh, my beat bone, it causes me to, to jive. There is nothing. That the evilness of this world has not contaminated. I'm not giving you a list of things to do. I'm trusting that the Lord will bring conviction in your life. Because everybody's on a different level here. Now it's getting a little bit more personal. Well it's going to get a little bit more hot under the collar. Color. Listen to this. The, the, consider this. The, the present tense. It's not a verb. It's a verbal form. Uh, the present tense element of this word. Keep. To keep. Calls for the believer to exert constant vigilance to remain unstained. This is an ongoing, everyday kind of thing. This is not, oh, I'm gonna do it next year, or you know when when New Year's Day comes about, about and we have what? New Year's Day resolutions, I'll do it then. No, this is a day-to-day resolution that you will kill yourself to the world, and you will kill the world to yourself. This is an ongoing watchfulness and caution to keep yourself from the immorality, impurity, and stain that is in the world. Why? Because the world is full of immoral slime that wants to stain your heart. It bespatters the best of us. That is the word. The force of this verbal sense is that the Christian ought to maintain a cause or a condition, a stance or a conviction that is immovable. Which means that anything that can negatively affect our walk in this world must be rejected. The idea here is continue to keep yourself holy and separate, therefore unstained from this world. We all know this old song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? We know that, right? Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch, I think it is. For the Father up above is looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful. It's a good warning. I like the re- the change that costing Crown has brought to it. It says this, it's a slow fade when black and white is turned to gray. It's a slow fade. Fathers never fall in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Mommies never crumble in a day. Churches never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade when we give up and compromise because we want to be in cahoots or in good standing with the world. Why is the the church in the state that it is in today? Because slowly and progressively we've given up little ground on small issues. Oh, it's not such a big thing. Let's just go to a, a, a prayer service with other churches and, 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 and Catholics and Anglicans and people that don't believe in the sufficiency of God's word and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's okay. That's what we say. We give up little things and then before you know it, black and white is no longer black and white, but it's a gray area. What this implies is that the ongoing splatter of unprincipled filth will turn clear lines of moral convictions into gray lines of compromise, where once you could see the difference between right and wrong, it is now questionable. Yeah, but that's just a perspective. That's just an opinion. Or your church just believes differently. Whatever... However, James is calling for a clear line of demarcation and separation. And I will prove to you that this is separation. This word keep could mean to retain in custody, keeping yourself in prison from the world. To keep a watch over, to reserve, preserve, to keep or hold. The idea is to persist in, undisturbed from the world, to be faithful in the course of holiness. That means separation. That is not intermingling. This is more than a mere mental process. This is an active pursuit and yearning after that which God desires. This is something we must engage in. This could include a fight for purity. Purity. This is expressed in a ceaseless, continuous pursuit of our holiness, integrity, honesty, and truthfulness, which have become gray areas today. What about that Netflix account that is for one family? Ah, uh, yeah, I treat him as family. Go read the fine print. It's not for those whom you think are family, it's for one family in one household. But it's become a gray area. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, what should you do? Cut it off. Now, please, those of you who are literalists, He does not mean go home and go saw your hand off. It's an idiom. It's the best way for Jesus to explain cutting off the source, the cause of your sin. Now, the, the hand is not the cause of the sin. What is? The heart. That is what Jesus is calling you to do. You have to cut off the things that causes your heart to sin cut it off let me let me put it this way if you if you have a a, a borehole and you've got water that comes from the council and you know that they use chemical in council water chemicals in council water and you see your plants are not growing but the minute you use your water that you get from the earth no chemicals in it to clean it up and you see that you hey make my, my Veggies is growing nicely with that water. It's brown, it's ugly, but it, it, it works. My vegetables are nice and fat. And then you, for a month you use the council water, which they try to clean up for us. But you see that nothing's happening. It's not growing, not producing any fruit. What are you going to do? You're going to cut off the thing that does not cause the right kind of growth. right? We know that from natural life. But when it comes to the spiritual life, what do we do? Uh, just a little sip. Supp- it's not so bad. You know. Maybe I can mix that, that poisoned water. It's not, it's not poisoned water. That water from the council with this black water. Maybe it will taste a little bit better. Maybe. James says, no. You need to do something. You need to do something drastic. And this is it. You. Lo- look at the text. Keep oneself. That is you. You have to do it. Unstained from the world. It's not going to happen naturally. It's not going to happen to, to you supernaturally. God wants you to do something about your involvement with the world and the world's involvement in your life. Now, he does not say, keep yourself from the world. That is a completely different sen- sentence. He says, keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't be influenced by the world. Don't be changed by the world. Don't be affected and stained by the world. The world. This is a call to separation. The church is not to be like culture. The church is called to be holy, set apart, unlike sinners around them. That's always been God's plan for the church. The church ought to be the beacon of light in the, in a midst, in the midst of a dark and a perverse generation. That is what we are. That is what we should be. Romans 12 2 Do not be conformed to this world. Colossians 2, 20, if you died with Christ, why do you live as if the world has a hold on you? In other words, the world is not the friend of the church. The world is not our friend. How we relate to this world is important to God. James calls for a radical separation from the stain of of the sin that is in this world. I'm going to pause here. I know my time is almost up. And I'm going to explain what the separation looks like. And it will be the answer to the last part of this question. So firstly, James calls us for a radical separation from the sin and the stain that is in the world by daily and continually living an act of worship before God. This must be forcibly pursued by the church. Now, secondly, the reason why the church needs to separate itself from the world is in the last word in the sentence, the word world, the world. And it could mean a number of different things in the Bible. But here, the world commonly refers to the ungodly worldview, lifestyle, philosophy, and the spirit that characterizes human life as its estrangement and rebellion against its creator. It's the world that stands opposed to God. That is what James is talking about. So to understand the meaning of this word, world, I'm going to go through James and just mention a couple of verses and then expand out from there and point out to you, this is why the church needs to separate from the world. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? That is a hard words. Do you not know that being a friend of the world? is actually being an enemy of God. Here we see that the world stands in contradistinction to God. It's opposed to God. It's the opposite of who God is. God is by nature what? Holy. The world is by nature what? Unholy. God is God. He is triune and righteous and perfect. The world is not that. There are only two choices. Enemy of God or friend of God. That's the only two choices. You're either in the camp of the world or you are with God and a friend of God. The world is hostile to our God. And those who are friends of the world are contaminated by this hostility against God. Listen to one, uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Having escaped, speaking about the saints, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Speaks of us escaping the moral depravity and ruination that is in this world. This world is corrupt to its core. It has no moral compass. It has abandoned morality. A natural degradation that touches every corner that this world governs. 2 Peter chapter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take note of this. They are again entangled and in them overcome. The last state has become worse than the first. What does he mean they've overcome? What are they overcome by? The defilement that is in the world. Listen, you cannot spend time in a mud field without getting mud on you somehow. It will get on your feet. And if you are living amongst people who are frolicking in the mire and the the dirt that is around you, what's going to happen to you? It's going to splatter on you. You cannot be in the world and live like the world, and not think that the world will not have an impact on you. It does. It will change the way you think. It will change the way that you love. Romans eight twenty one. I don't have it in my notes, so I'm just going to turn over there. Romans eight twenty one. For Creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility futility, willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Take note of that. Bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This idea of being subjected, and enslaved to corruption. That word corruption has the idea of moral decline. It's continually going down. The world is not getting better, saints. The immorality you see now, it's getting worse and worse as we speak. There is a moral entropy taking place in the world today. The world will not get better at the side of glory. No matter how many Christians you put in parliament, it's not going to change the culture. The world as a system is in opposition and rebellion towards God. This is not a good picture of the world. James, in cahoots with the other apostolic writers, knows exactly why believers do not have to, do not should not live a life stained by the world because the world is immoral. It's filthy. But there's another reason. John chapter 15, and I want you to see this. Go back to John chapter 15. James does not reveal why the world is our enemy, but he banks upon the words of Jesus Christ because Christ himself taught on this issue. And you can hear and you will start to hear it now as we go through it. Verse 18 of chapter 15, the Gospel of John. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you, it's a good thing. If the world turns on you, and you're below- Christ, and you're living faithfully for the Lord, it's a good thing. You know this, hate means not only that they hated in the past, but they continue to hate him. This is not just the people in that time. This is an ongoing hatred that is spurred on by the enemy against Christ and his people. So if they hate you because you are mine, guess what? You are doing good. It's actually good for you to be hated from the world, but Today, we are so concerned that the world does not think well of us. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, what? Hates you. I didn't make this up. This is Jesus saying, listen, if you are in the world and you are mine, guess what, my child? They're going to hate you. Why are they going to hate you? Because they hate me to the core. Not the system, but the world of people. Those influenced by the system and the spirit of this age. They hate Christ and they hate Christians. Oh, uh, not that old guy on the corner. No, he's such a sweet guy. Okay, go share the gospel with him. Go tell him that he's a sinner, he's a rebellion sinner before a holy God, and if he doesn't repent, he'll go to hell. Oh, let's see how nice he is then. But the, here's the weight of what Jesus is saying. If the world loves you as its own, you must be of the world then. Are you hot yet? If the world loves you as its own, there's a problem. Why? Because it hated your Savior. If the world accepts you as its own, there's a problem because they rejected your Savior. Young men and women, you need to think about this very carefully because the world is coming for you. The world does not own the church, therefore it cannot control the church. The world does not own the Christian. Therefore, it cannot control the Christian. Why? Because Christ chose us out of the world. Look at verse 19 again. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world. Because I chose you out of the world. You know what that is? That is separation. The church did not separate itself from the world. You know who he did it? Your Savior. The head of the bride said, you are no longer in the world as the world. You're in the world, but not of the world. You're in the world, but my representatives in the world. This is confirmed in John chapter 17, that Christ establishes a separation between world and church. Look at verse 6 chapter 17 I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world speaking about who the church not only those but also for those who would believe in me speaking to the father I have made myself known to them Those who are in the world, but you gave them to me out of the world. You separated them from the world. And Jesus says in chapter 15, I chose you out of the world. I have called you to myself and you're no longer under the possession and control of the world because you have a new head and it is me, your savior. Jesus is not praying for us to be removed from the world. Take note of this. If you read chapter 17, he's not even praying for our safety in the world. But he prays that we would be kept, preserved in this world. That's the same word that James uses. Keep yourself. And Jesus prays to the Father, you keep them. You keep them. Jesus didn't pray for your safety. He prayed for your sanctification. You get that? He did not pray for your safety because he says they will kill you. They will hate you. But he did pray for your sanctification. That means he prayed for you to be set apart, to be holy unto God in a wicked world. That is the world church distinction. Set about by Christ. I don't have to cause and force the church to be separate from the world. Because Christ has already done that. The problem is that the Christian world has become so infatuated by an incorrect ideology that the world must approve of the church. We think that we have to be in good standing with the world in order for our gospel and our testimony to be authentic. Well, then Jesus had a problem because they hated him. And he says that if if they hate me, what are they going to do to you? They will hate you and kill you for my name. We have fallen prey to the lie that the church is to be liked by the world, to be accepted by the world. Listen, Jesus drew a line in the sand and said, that is the world, that is the immorality, immorality in this world, and this is my church set apart unto holiness. You are not the world, is what he's saying. We have been deluded to think that we must be loved by the world and respected by the world in order to have a testimony in this world. That is a lie of the devil. It is not true. The Bible gives the complete opposite view to that. Complete opposite. Jesus was hated by the world and it still hates our Savior. You are in good standing with your Savior and that is all that matters. We are fooled into thinking that our testimony before this world needs to be connected with our standing in this world. Listen, the world will only like you and corrupt up to you as long as you keep your convictions, your morality, and your savor to yourself. Then they will love you. The minute you speak of an authority that is higher than government, oh, no, 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 no. You being... Civilly disobedient, then you are stirring and they don't want to stir. How dare you say something like that and they'll cancel and hate on you. The minute you say that I love guys and I cannot in good conscience support abortion, they will cancel you and hate you. They will rationalize all these benefits for humanity. But the blindness of their hearts cannot see that murder is murder in the eyes of God. How dare you mention abortion is murder? They will hate you for it. The minute you mention the government does not regulate worship, parenting, marriage, gender, and what we do to our bodies, they will hate you for it. Why? Because they think they have control over us. Listen, the church does not belong to this world or the government. It belongs to its Savior. Let me be real with you. Being part of mainline cultural Christianity is easy. It is easy to walk the line with others. It is hard to stand on the Bible and say, I will never compromise. I will rather die for my faith than give in to this world. That is hard. that is what we are called to do. Some of you will lose your job. Some of you are going to be hated by this world. Some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to think, oh, am I doing the right thing? Look at all the cool Christians there in the corner with the world having a party. And here I am alone without a job. Alone. Maybe, just maybe, this is not such a big compromise. Yes, this is what Christ has called you to. Too readily have we sung the song, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I what? Say it, All I give what? Freely. You sang that before? All to him I freely give. Well, guess what, believers? It's time to cash in on that profession. All to him, all to him I freely give. But what if it's your job? What if it's your house? What if it's your bread? Maybe it's not all. Maybe I didn't mean it. We are naive to think that the world's reception of us is somehow God glorifying. It is not. The only thing that God requires of you is to walk in holiness before Him. Let me end on this. We are told we need to build a bridge with the world. Build a bridge. Build a bridge. Build relationships with the world. That's the bridge. So that they can come over the bridge to Christianity. But don't see the gospel yet. Don't be so hard on them. Build a bridge. Tell me how can a blind person find the bridge? They don't see the bridge. What they do not need is a bridge. But they do need a bloodstained cross. That is what you need to share. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you don't repent, you will end up in a lost eternity. But that's not what they want. They will hate you for that message. The world wants compliance. Saints, consider the state where we are today. Cancel culture, LGBTQ, wokeness, BLM, losing your job because you don't want to take the vaccine. The church is being pushed to the periphery. And some of you will fall. Some of you will give in. Devotion to Christ is costing more now than it did four years ago. You are thinking about things now that you did not think four years ago. The world is not a friend of the church. What COVID, wokeness, BLM has revealed is that there is awakening, a revolution in the church that is geared to appeasing the world. In the forest of the northern European and Asia regions, there's a little animal called the Ermine, known for its purest white fur, the outer coating of his skin. He loves to keep his fur clean, never sold it. So he licks it, cleans it, makes sure that nothing gets on it. For hunters know this. So what they do is they go and find the home of uh, ermine, and they put muck and mire, everything dirty that they could find, they put it on the inside of the entrance to his house. And when the ermine is being chased around by the dogs, who don't actually kill them, they get to the home, but they cannot go in. Why? Because it's muck and mire and And dirt on the entrance to his safety zone. His safe place is one step beyond the mire and the dirt that is at the entrance. But he chooses not to go in. Because for the the ermine, his purity is far more important than his life. And so he stays outside and dies because... It does not want to stain his fur. That is right there. The entrance is right there to safety. And he does not dirty it. I don't know if you get the picture. But that is the Christian in this world. Your purity to Christ is far more important than your life. Father, you have given to us a Savior who died for our sanctification. And in John 17, he prayed for our sanctification. Help us, O oh God. This world and all its immorality is infringing and encroaching upon us very quickly. Oh God, help mm. us. These are difficult times, and we need your help. Forgive us for the compromises we have already made. Forgive us for the ground that we've already conceded. And help us, Lord, to live in this world, pure and holy lives for you. Magnify yourself in our lives as we give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.